Hello and welcome again to Journeys in Grace. My name is Pastor Eric Hubbard, and we want to thank you for just being with us as we go into and continue our study of Jesus, our Restorer and Redeemer. And today we're going to go back to Isaiah 54 and talk about more about how and what Isaiah prophesied over Israel. And not only does it uh, apply to that church in his day, but also applies to we, us as a people, we as a people, uh, whether you're a believer or you are a uh, someone who doesn't know Christ and, uh, and looking for answers. And I believe that's what the world is doing now. They're looking for solutions. They're looking for answers. And many are turning to everything but Christ. But we know that Jesus is the answer. Before we get started, first we want to um, give you a couple of ways to contact us. First by mail at Pastor Eric, Post Office Box. 4473 Marietta, Georgia 30061 or you can email us at Pastor Eric 523 at gmail.com Again, let's go over to the book of Isaiah and we're going to pick up um, where we left off uh, where, the, <laughs> where we ended last time and uh, again, when we talk about Redeemer or being redeemed, it means to be rescued recovered or ransomed and that's what Jesus did for us was ransom. And this is what Isaiah is talking about here in the 54th chapter. And to be ransomed means that you must purchase. Whenever you hear about someone being kidnapped and there is a ransom required. And we know that's what Jesus did for us. He required a, uh, a God required blood. And that blood could only come from a lamb. And, uh, and in the Old Testament, as we go through the law, a lamb had to be perfect. I mean, perfect means on the outside it had to be perfect. It had no blemishes. Couldn't have a broken leg. You couldn't just be uh, something that you said, oh, you know what? He's going to die anyway, so let's offer it. No, that was unacceptable. It had to be perfect on the outside. All of his limbs there, you know, uh, God wanted the best. And when they offered it, it was offered once a year, but every year. And not only that, that was for the entire nation, but even on on feast days and on days of special occasions and when there were sins and the people needed to be uh, uh, cleansed or when there was birth of a child, all manner of these, all manner of offerings were, were given, but each one, the priest examined it first, then it was accepted as a um, uh, substitute or a willing offering to God. So now we're talking about what Jesus did and what he was. He was examined. And we we know by scripture that he fulfilled all the requirements, all the multitude of prophecies that would come about a virgin, a virgin's birth. How that he not only would be uh, uh, born of a virgin, but he would be the savior and redeemer for his children. And in Isaiah, it talks about uh, in Isaiah 35, it talks about what would happen when he came, how he would heal the sick and he would open the blinded eyes and he would uh, there would be a, a path that he would create for us to follow. And so we know in studying the life of Jesus, all the multitude of prophecies, even when uh, he was born, Anna, Anna and uh, others, uh, another prophet, when Mary and Joseph came into the temple. And they brought him on his day of circumcision that uh, they spoke of him well. And they told him not only did they speak of his coming life, but I believe that the, another one of the prophets spoke over and told Mary, said, Mary, your heart's going to be wounded 
because of what he must do and what he went through. And you say, Eric, why are you talking about these things according and connecting with Isaiah 54? Because this is what Jesus did. As Isaiah talked about God uh, healing this nation and this nation of Israel, which had left God. And you just think about uh, when you read about this, why you just why are you jumping into Isaiah 54 here? Because if you look back over the prior hundreds of thousands of years after Israel had come out of uh, had come out of, of uh, captivity and they had come to the land of Israel, God had blessed them. They were they had they had uh, victory over their enemies. God had extended their um, extended uh, the rule of their kings. Uh, multitudes came to see their king, King Solomon, one of the greatest kings and most wisest kings that ever lived. The Lord said that, uh, he said, there will not be, there was not one before you, nor the shall there one be after you that could compare to Solomon. And when we talk about restoring, I just want to read a little bit. First, we want to read here in Isaiah, in uh, Isaiah 54, but we're going to also go over to Second uh, Chronicles and just read you some about what the 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 massive riches that Isaiah had and how he poured them into the temple. Okay? And so we're gonna make a connection with that here as we move forward. So first we're gonna start in Isaiah 54. I'm just gonna read a little bit, but we're gonna stop around the fourth, third and fourth verse and just talk a little bit about those. So in the just to summarize, Isaiah 54 1 talks about he breaks out by saying, talking to the barren, those who did not have, he says, you need to sing now. Break forth into singing, cry aloud. Though you that did not have child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife. Then he goes on to tell them the second verse, enlarge your, your tent, uh, uh, stretch out your cards. He said, don't spare. So in other words, he says, put some length in this because you. I want you to tell you that you are about to grow because God is about to bless you. And then in the third verse, he told them, not only that, he says, break forth on the left and right hand. He says, your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. So when we, you know, I don't want to read too much into this, but I want you to see how that naturally God was telling Israel to get ready. Blessing is coming your way. Abundance is coming. And right in the middle of this, if you were going to the town of Isaiah, Israel had been in, had been invaded. They were they were slaves in their own country. Many times the uh, the king would come. Not only would he uh, dominate the country, but he would take the best of them and take them back to uh, their land. They took them back to Babylon. They took them back to Persia because they wanted the best. Because they wanted to uh, take all of the best that was in the country, just like Satan wants to do now. He wants to take our youth. He wants to take our strength where our babies are being uh, aborted, where our young people are being killed and murdered in school to where you would think the school is, is a place of safety to where those who have not, those who lack learning, they can learn. They're in a safe environment. And this is why Satan is attacking them at their very point of learning because he wants to destroy our future. This is what Pharaoh did. If you remember back when uh, God had spoken to uh, Moses to bring his children out and bring them, take them over to uh, into the wilderness so that they would go and worship that God there and sacrifice, what did Pharaoh say? Uh, after all the plagues, he eventually began to break. And he said, I'll tell you what, take all the older people, leave the cattle and your children. Because he did not, he knew the children were their future. 
The children were their future. And if he and if Moses would have agreed and said, well, you know, I'm what can the kids do? You know, they're just children. We can have more children. No. And this is what we cannot do as a people, as a nation. We cannot give up our children. We cannot allow the enemy to, to, to uh, uh, take their minds and fill them with fear. So they're afraid to go to school. They're afraid to go and learn. They're afraid to uh, go even to churches. Satan, not only he attacking schools, he's attacking churches, he's attacking gatherings because he did it not only with guns, he's done it with COVID. All of these things have come to pass because he wants to break us and make us look to it out of fear. Because scripture says what? Fear has torment. He wants to torment us and cower us down and make us believe there is no hope. But just like Isaiah said here in the, uh, in the third verse, he says, For you shall break forth on the left hand and on the right. And then he says in the fourth verse, fear not, for you shall not be ashamed. Neither shall you be confounded, for you shall put to shame. You shall not be put to shame, for you shall forget the shame of your youth and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. For your maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The Lord God of the whole earth shall he be called. That's who we serve. We serve a God that, that says, as David did in the 23rd Psalm, that uh, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God has angels personally assigned to you. Yes, you. Even our little children have, have angels assigned to them. You say, well, preacher, why did all of these things happen? Because we live in a broken world. It was not God that sent uh, this killer in and where he killed those children there in school and killed the, the precious teachers. It was not God that sent this man as judgment. People, many will say, well, that was just judgment that when he went to the shopping market. Well, people were going to get food. They were just going to get food for their loved ones. And he goes and shoots and kills. And all of these other places where uh, we've seen attacks and what Satan wants to do, the enemy wants to do is to make us fear. But Isaiah says, fear not. If you put your confidence in God, say, God, I trust you. This is where we as believers, New Testament believers, must when we, before you go, because of our relationship with him, we listen. The Bible says he will do what? He will lead you and guide us into all truth. God will show you where to go. He'll even show you where to shop. He even lead you to where the best prices are, if you will ask him. But I've learned, and I'm still learning, that he wants to be involved in your everyday life. In the small things. Scripture says it's the little foxes that spoil the, spoil the branch, spoil the vine. It's the little decisions that we make. When we omit God and say, Lord, rather than saying, Lord, I need a car. I need to, I need to get my car fixed, Lord. What, what, what should I do? Where should I go? Lead me, Lord. I'm going to trust you and pray about it and go about your business. You know you got to get it fixed. Trust him that he's going to lead you to make the right decision. Trust him. So, Lord, um, I, I see my son, some things going on in his life. What can, what, what can I do? What should I, be, what should I be looking out for? Are some 
people he's associated with or she's associated with that I need, Lord, to separate or I need to bring it to his attention that of who we are and what we stand for, which we should we should be doing all the time. But I'm saying God will not let you be ashamed. It may be ugly. It is ugly outside. But I want to tell you the scripture says here in Isaiah 54, fear not for you shall not be ashamed. Neither shall you be confounded. The world is confounded. They don't know what to do. Oh, we're going to take away all the guns. And I do agree that there must be more. Con there must be some control. Everybody just shouldn't be people who are mentally disturbed and have mental issues. You know, and we've seen their actions, but you won't be able to stop them all. I'm going to tell you that God loves us. He cares for you. I don't have the solution, but he does. And if we will pray, God will give you something to do for your own personal situation, for how you raise your children, for how you are uh, uh, in, in your relationships. If you will just ask, he said, you will not be confounded. God said being confound means that you're confused. And the thing is too high for you. When the Lord will bring it, you will answer in simplicity. He will make the answer so simple. Sometimes I've asked the Lord for instructions and the answer is so simple. You said, is that all? Is that all I need to do? There were times when Daniel and I were praying about things and he gave us the same answer. He just told us, look, put this in my hands. Let me do it. Because we, we didn't, it wasn't because we weren't trying, because we weren't, you know, we were, we were praying. We were doing the things, we, everything we knew to do. And finally, we came, both of us came, we told each other the same thing. The Lord said to put this in your hand. Put this in, rather, put this in my hand. That's what God was telling us. And we did it. It didn't, it wasn't stopped overnight. But over time, whenever some things would happen, we just remind ourselves, you know what? The Lord said he's got this. If he gave us instruction, we gave it. If he gave us something to say, we said it. But we know, we knew and trusted him, the Lord. And sometimes they were hard decisions. They were hard words we had to say. But yet, we trusted him. And because we did, God has worked out relationships. He's worked out uh, things for us, spiritually, financially, health-wise, because we trust him. We all going to have times when, you know, the things look dark and dreary and, and wonder, God, what, Lord, Lord, what's going on? But he's always there. He wants to talk to you. And this fifth verse says, for thy maker is the Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer, the one who rescues us, the one who paid, who's paid our ransom, the one who's, who's, who re will recover us. Recover means all the, who will restore us, mean bring us better than new. Whenever you see one of these old old school cars or trucks and it shines like it like it's shining like the noonday sun, like you could just dive into the paint because that person has taken time. He's taken detail. He or she has worked on that thing and invested time and money. God invested his son in and for you. Not just for us. He invested Jesus into the earth. What did the scripture say? He said, unless a grain of corn, a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. What was he saying? He says, I've got to put, I've got to be invested. I've got to die, go to the grave. Because if I don't, 
that this investment is not taken to the fullest. The full investment was not just Jesus being born, but he had to die. And when he gave his life, he was placed in the ground in a tomb. And what an abundant harvest he's done. But going now to uh, Chronicles, I want to read a little bit about all of the things that what Israel had, because I want to make this connection with what God has done for us. In 2 Chronicles, third chapter, I'm going to read the first and second verse. And this is what Solomon was doing. He built the temple because they invested in the church of God. And just like they invested and built the house for God, God has invested in you. He's invested in me. So we read Chronicles 3 and 1. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing forth threshing floor of Ornan, Ornan, the Jebusite, and he began to build. And so Solomon got wood, he got uh, timber, he got gold and silver. So when we go down to the sixth verse, it says, and he garnished, talking about Solomon, the house with precious stones for beauty and the gold and gold. In the third verse says, he overlaid the house, the beams, the posts, the walls, the doors, with gold and graven cherubim on the wall. They, he, he made lavish. Today, people would freak out if they saw gold. And there are, we know there are gold inlays and there are some uh, uh, thin leaf gold. But I'm talking about the walls, the, the, the posts. Everything was laid out, laid, and lavishly done. Not just a, a, a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there. They covered it with silver and gold and with brass. They covered it because it was the house that God dwelled in. And my connection is, is to what we are. We today are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We today are where God dwells. Let's go over now. Let's go over to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19. This is 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 6.19. And what the scripture is saying about us and who we are. Because as I talked in our first lesson, we must have an expectation of who we are in the spirit and what God has done for us. You are not garbage. God did not make any garbage. He did not make any junk. Psalms 130, I believe 138 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. I mean, God thought you were so awesome that he did not make a duplicate. Nobody has your uh, DNA. Nobody has your fingerprints. Nobody has... Uh, all of your particulars in one. They may have brown eyes, but they don't have the imprints of what God put in you. There will never be another you. He made a precious, and think about it, you're one of one. That means that you are precious. You are exceptional. See, that's what why cars, you know, there, there are hundreds of thousands, you know, of Volkswagens and things of that nature. But if you can go find a, a, what they call the old schools, the Duesenbergs, the, uh, the Rolls Royces from 19, from the 40s and from the 50s that have been restored, they are worth millions of dollars. The Corvette, I, I, I like cars, so I know a little bit about cars. And the, uh, the, 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 the special Mercedes-Benz, where they only made a select few, where the Shelby Mustang, where many times they only made a few thousand, maybe even uh, a few hundred. And they numbered them. And those cars are special numbers. So when they, were, they find one on sale and it's been perfectly restored or it's been kept, 
they sell for millions. And you would say, now this car sold for maybe two, three thousand dollars 40, 50 years ago. Now it's selling for millions because it's one of, of one of a few. You are one of one. That's why God pays such a high price for you. The blood of his son. The, his blood, where he came into the earth as a man, demonstrated who we are and who we and how we should walk. And then he put his Holy Spirit in us. God didn't just put a spirit. He put the spirit. He put the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us so that we can walk as he walked. The same power that raised Christ from the dead from uh, in Romans. The same power that raised him from the dead dwelleth also in us. Roman also says that he that hath not the spirit of God is none of his. So in other words, when all of us are born again, the spirit of God is deposited within us. The spirit, not a spirit. Not spirits. The spirit of God dwells in us. That's how precious you are. If you can just think about it, you are one of a kind. You are one of one. There can be, if you are a female, there can be others that come out of you. But God so made it so, made it such that when a child is born, it doesn't, that the blood of, you would think that every child will have the blood of his mother, the same type, blood type, I would put, if I put it that way. I know there are a few types, there are A, B, and O, and you know, the different uh, types of blood. But the blood type doesn't come from the mother. God sent, he, he made us so delicately, but yet it says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's go on now as we, as we finish this up here. I'm going to read six through nine. And it says uh, in, in Chronicles, it says, and he garnished it. He overlaid the beams. He made the most holy house, the length of which was according to the breadth of the house, breadth of the house. And then it said in the ninth verse, he says, the weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold. The nails in the house were made of gold. Can you imagine? Pure gold, a nail was made out of. It didn't say it was overlaid gold. He said the nails were made of gold. And in the most holy house, he made two cherubims of image work and overlaid them with gold. All of these things were put in the house. And I wanted to go further to the fifth chapter because I wanted you to see all these things were done so that it would be a house that God would dwell in. So we go down to same book, second Chronicles, fifth chapter, 13th verse. This is where Solomon's finished the house. The singers are there. The music is there. The priests are there. And it says, and it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were one, they began to make, a, to make one sound. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for a church that will make one sound, that will give him glory for who he is and for what he's done. They will, they will be in agreement as the church was together on the day of Pentecost. They made one sound. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the... Uh, uh, when I'm recording this, that's the day they made one sound. They were all in agreement. They were there seeking God. Nobody, it was no big eye, little you. They were there because the Lord said, 
wait. And we're going to wait for him. And because they waited on that day and they received it. Why? Because they were in agreement. And they made one sound in praising and thanking God. And he lifted up the voice with the trumpet and cymbals. And it says, they begin to say in the latter part of that 13th verse, for he is good for his mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The spirit of God was in that house and it was so thick that the people could not stand. They fell down because of the weight of the spirit. This is the relationship. They only had this to happen a few times. There were a few times where it was read. Well, Isaiah saw the Lord, the Lord God. And when the Lord, he saw in his vision, the Lord come in and the doorpost moved. That's in Isaiah 6. But here in, in Chronicles, it talks about the people had one voice and they made a voice of praise because they were giving glory to God. We too are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us. And it says, uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, meaning that we are, should be governed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. This is what Christ the Redeemer did. Jesus did this because he loved you. Because he loves you. And he was willing to invest his life. He was that wheat, grain of wheat, that grain of corn that was deposited in the earth. And the Bible says in Hebrew, for the joy that was set before him. All of the pain, all of the shame, the spit they did in his face. He saw you and said, I'm willing to be deposited for you. And he came and he lived and he died. And so are we today. So what a great and marvelous God. And as we read about this restoring in Isaiah and that fifth verse says, for he is the, he is thine husbandman, the husband rather, the Lord of hosts, the redeemer, the Holy one of Israel. And he goes on to say, he talks about how he says, for thou hast been called. He said, I call thee as a woman forsaken. Now he was talking about the church and he calls the church. She, and he says, Grieved in spirit and a woman of youth and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith the Lord. And it's again, he's now he's talking about it's specific to Israel in their day. But in our day, what did he say? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, Brother Hubbard, why did you go back to the Old Testament? Because the scripture says all the promises of God are yea and amen or yes and amen. Every blessing that you see in the Old Testament is available to the New Testament believer today. The difference between us and them, we can't be cursed. Because Jesus is the curse. He took on rather the curse. He took on all because the Bible says, Cursed be he that hangeth on a tree. When Jesus got up on that, was laid down on that cross, he became a curse. He took it for you. And as I've said so many times, 
What he deserved, we received. What we deserve, he took. Because he is the restorer of the breach. I believe it's in the book of Ezekiel 23rd. I may be mistaken, but it says, and God was looking on the earth. And this was before Christ had came. He said, I'll search for a man among them that would make up the head that would stand in the gap. But he said, I found none. Because there was no man worthy. No one. No man, no woman, no child. No one that could stand in the gap between God and man. But we know we have one. And his name is Jesus. I think that's a good place to stop right there. I just appreciate God so much. And I believe again, read on, study him about what Christ the Redeemer has done. He has done so much for us. And I want to tell you, beloved, fear not. No matter what, what situation you find, you may, you may be in a gang-ravaged neighborhood. There could be drug use all around you. You may have lost your job. Your marriage could have fallen apart and you left with the kids. Male and female. Sometimes wife walks out. Sometimes husband disappears. And there you are by yourself. But you are not alone. Grandma, your children could have abandoned their children. And now you are raising them. You are not alone. Grandpa, grandma might have died. You at the home now. And you don't even know how to cook. And wondering how am I going to make it? You might not have had children. You may not have anyone close by. And you may feel as though you're all by yourself. You don't have your riding buddy anymore. You don't have your, your voice of reason. You don't have that hand that you can hold. Jesus is there for you. He will walk with you through this. You don't have to throw up the flag. Your children may be a thousand miles away. He's there with you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the world, to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for this teaching today. I pray that we would receive you as Lord, as Christ, as Redeemer, as Restorer. For those who do not know you, I pray that they will repeat after me, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I received a life and the death and the blood that he shed for me. I thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven me of my sins. And today, I am become a son or a daughter of God. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for Jesus died for me. Lead me, Lord, to a place of worship. Guide me, Lord, to my place that I may grow thereby. And Lord, I pray for my sisters and brothers, Lord, Whatever stage they find themselves in, whether they're uh, seasoned saints in the 80s and 90s, and whether they're just walking into the house of God and they're saved now and they're wondering, what are my next step? I pray, Lord, they will build their relationship, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit which you have given them. I pray that they will seek after you, Lord, and the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That they, Lord, too, Lord, would go forth speaking in tongues, God, and they will become that son, that daughter. At whatever stage in life they may be, we pray, Lord, they be, would be empowered with a relationship with you and with your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And I pray you join us again next time on Journeys in Grace.